This is Word on the Streets, a podcast about the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project. This podcast is created by the City of Midland, Michigan, and produced by the MCTV Network. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Word on the Streets, a podcast about information, updates, and perspective on the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project in Midland, Michigan. I'm your host, Katie Geyer, here again with my co-host, Grant Marshall. So I want to start this episode by saying our topic today, safety and emergency response, has been planned for some time now, um, and we've been talking about this extensively, Grant, throughout this process, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a specific recent incident that I want to talk about today before we get into anything else. So so let's talk about what happened a couple weeks ago. Sure. So a couple of Fridays back, we actually had um, a rather dramatic uh, crash that took place there. Um, we have been able to review the police report um, ahead of today's podcast um, uh, taping. And um, what we found was that there was a vehicle traveling on Jerome or Buttles uh, coming into town, uh, or sorry, Jerome or M20 coming into town um, on Jerome um, that failed to stop at the red light, um, unfortunately striking a car that was traveling southeast on Buttles Street. Um, when the cars both made contact, they did um, leave the roadway um, and unfortunately made contact with the new Pathfinder Commons apartments that are right there on the corner. Um, so it was enough force um, by both vehicles to actually take the vehicles off the road. Um, thankfully, there's been a bo- uh, bo- boulders installed. My apologies. Can you wanted to word. say bollards. Ball- I know yeah. you did. Can't say that word anymore. <laughs> it's true, but the boulders <laughs> that were installed there uh, did slow those vehicles enough, and it was a minor um, uh, damage to that apartment complex. But unfortunately, it was enough force, and quite frankly, enough um, um, uh, just a, a poor action by a driver to run that red light uh, that did eventually cause damage to that property. Sure, and we've, we've got some photos of this crash on the screen right now. If you are listening on audio only, you can view these photos on our podcast website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash corridors. Um, and when you take a look at those those photos, it's pretty miraculous that nobody was hurt from this accident. Very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, not only the people in those vehicles, but also the anybody that's living in um, that apartment complex as well. Um, I think it's important to point out, number one, it's never acceptable for vehicles to leave a roadway, period. That's where they should be, is on the road. And there should never be an expectation that there's a potential for a building to be hit by a motor vehicle. Um, That's kind of what we've been saying all along. Um, I also think it's important to point out, there's a lot of other multifamily housing units along the corridor, both Indian and Buttles. Um, There's other single family homes along this corridor. There's commercial buildings along this corridor. And there have been homes and businesses previously to Pathfinder Commons being located there on that very lot. Um, Some of the things that we've heard before is the building is too close to the roadway or the building shouldn't be there. Buildings have been there all along for, I'm talking hundreds of years. Um, So the addition of this building there has nothing to do with the cause of this accident. It's driver error, poor driving habits, failure to pay attention, and even possibly maybe a little bit of unsafe design in that intersection as well. Um, And unfortunately for the people living there who are just living their lives, who are um, a part of this community, they are now also potential victims of a motor vehicle accident. Mm -hmm. No, you make some good points, Katie. And I think it's important to recognize that as part of this redesign process, um, we are going to address some of those safety concerns that are there that were designed. This is a very wide road and it encourages very fast-paced driving through there. Um, And this is also a downtown environment and um, 
we've had a history in the city um, in that particular area for over 100 years where we've had people living um, in homes or in multiple family dwelling units. And we've had new interest of wanting to recreate those or change them to make them more modern and meet the needs of today's, um, today's society. It's, it's not um, a secret that people want to live downtown. And when you look at not only studies that the city of Midland has done or surveys that we've done, um, but if you look at just how um, um, desires and changes are happening across the nation, people want walkable urban environments. And so um, the, the city has been very keen on wanting to plan for that for a number of years. And that's why we have the DDA boundaries, for example, where they're at which includes Indian Buttles. It's why we have the downtown Northside Overlay Zoning District that regulates a different type of design in order to ensure that when we build in this area, we're not building suburban style developments, but we're building urban style developments, which are very different. Um, and um, it's also important to recognize too that we're evolving and cities have to evolve. You have to continue to change and you can't just build something and then have it stay there for thousands of years. You have to realize that as the world changes, you have to continue to invest and reinvest and continue to, to make modifications to meet the better needs and utilize the exact same footprint that you've had for, um, for decades or for over 100 years in order to reinvent yourself. Um, because if we continue to just sprawl out at the fringes, um, it's not a sustainable model. Right. Um, that has been very, very proven um, through multitude of studies and bodies of research that have concluded it's very important to get new investment into the core. And so, um, and so that's something too that I think um, we are continuing to encourage. It's certainly something we've had um, as a plan for the city for a couple of decades. And now we're seeing a lot of that start to materialize as people have made new investments, whether that's Pathfinder or it's um, buildings further down, um, new banks, uh, new office buildings, other things like that. Um, they're all intended to be that urban environment. And like you said, this is an, an urban environment where really I don't think we should have an expectation or um, and, and be okay with vehicles going off the road in any context, mm -hmm. but especially in an urban environment. And, um, and that is something that I think is very important to point out that this is, this is downtown Midland. And just like it's downtown Sanford or it's downtown Coleman or you know name any other city across the, 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 um, the country, in those downtown environments, people want cars to drive slowly. They want to be able to create new businesses, new new um, housing opportunities, people that are going to live in the area so that they can patronize those businesses and build the economy. Yep. All of that is really contingent on having safe streets um, and safe places for people to move. Um, and not only if you're a vehicle user, um, but if you're a pedestrian or a bicyclist or maybe an, even an e-scooter user. Yep, absolutely. So, so that's a great point because um, we've talked about this at length before and, and speed and safety in general. Um, but I think it's important to point out, if you ask almost anyone on almost any street, anywhere probably in the country, <laughs> are people driving too fast down your road? What's the answer going to be? Usually the answer is yes. yes. I, I feel that the cars are moving too fast. I don't like how fast people drive in front of my house. Um, I don't like how fast people drive through our subdivision is maybe another thing we've yep. heard. Yep. Um, we hear all the time, you know, whether that's um, residential streets across the um, the city or possibly even buildings, um, building owners or business owners. Um, you know, um, one particular area of concern is where Cambridge and South Sagan are at in Center City. Mm -hmm. There's lots of businesses that have had c connecting parking lots for decades. Right, right. But only until recently have they found themselves being so frustrated with how fast people drive through to connect between those two streets. And so we hear those types of concerns, and those are anecdotes. I mean, I will point that out. Mm -hmm, yep. um, in the community, we hear those anecdotes a lot that we think people are driving too fast. But I think we have to be honest with, with that 
understanding and recognize that that's also something that traverses into main corridors across the community. Yep, absolutely. That that was going to be my next point, actually, that um, you know we can all take ownership of the street in which we live, the subdivision in which we live. We should the also- The community in which we live. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, it extends out into the community in which we live, and those corridors are our streets. They belong to every single resident of this community, mm -hmm. and we should have just as much care and just as much concern about the way vehicles and motorists are behaving within that corridor as they are on our own street. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted to make um, that segue is I actually did a little experiment because we all know I like to, to play around with all of our tools. So I went over to our GIS tool, which you can all access by going to cityofmidlandmi.gov slash maps and clicking on Map My Midland. And I went to my property and I measured the distance from the physical street to the front door of my house, which is a really cool tool. You can measure all kinds of distance and there's so much to do there. I can't even scratch the surface of what our GIS is capable of, but definitely check it out. Um, so I measured from the front door of my house to the street and that was about 44 feet. Um, and I have a front deck, so it's probably more like maybe 40 feet from like the end of a structure on my property to the street. Um, then I use that same tool and I went to um, this location where this accident occurred. And I measured the distance from the edge of the street on Bottles to the front door of that unit at Pathfinder Commons, so that general area outline of that building mm -hmm. um, that was hit during this accident. And that distance was 43 feet. Um, about 39 feet if you take some of those areas where the living quarters kind of juts out um, and, and out in front of where the front door is. Um, so you think about that. 40 feet for my residential neighborhood street. Um, I live in an older neighborhood just off the Buttles and Indian Corridor, so I definitely have um, a vested stake and believe that that is my roadway just as much as my own uh, residential street. Um, my house has been there about 100 years, and to my knowledge, the physical location of my house has never moved. Um, so you think about my house 40 feet from a residential street, and then this Pathfinder Commons 40 to 43 feet distance from a roadway. That's no different. People are living just as far away from that roadway as I am from my roadway. But if a vehicle were to leave my street and hit my house, I feel like it would be a lot less acceptable um, than one leaving a major thoroughfare. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's also important to remember, you know, I think it's probably about 10 years ago now, maybe less, um, that there were homes that were sitting on that that lot that's not been a vacant property prior um, and those homes were there for a long time like we said before and the setback was not much different um, maybe a couple extra feet but that's it um, but you think about what driving was like 30 years ago versus what it looks like today and we're going to talk about that with uh, Chief Ford and Chief Coughlin here in our next segment um, so what is making people think that it's okay to have a more unsafe environment over the last 100 years? What do you think? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I think you did sort of um, kind of um, expose maybe a bit of a double, double standard that we have um, when we understand um, different roadways. You know, like you said, a residential street, we would be absolutely shocked if there was a a vehicle that went off the road and and made contact with a um, with a structure that's there that's that the same distance as you're saying away from um, from the street as as these particular um, apartments are. Um, so I do think some of the things. Well, to answer your question, some of the things that I think have changed is really just um, 
really how we understand vehicles in our society. Um, and this is something that was talked about largely when we started to have more um, automotive vehicles on streets and roads. If you go back and you look at um, different, um, uh, whether that was commercials that were being talked about by automotive companies or it was um, outside entities that were looking at the changes that um, uh, motordom, as it's called, uh, was having on society. Um, and if you look at even driver psychology and bodies of research behind driver psychology, all of that really points to the notion that we um, we do accept different things um, depending on where we're going. And if we're using a street to get from place to place, we have a different expectation than if it's a street that we actually live on, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting because then you put yourself in the shoes of people that are living there, and they would also have that same expectation as that other person would have if they lived in a subdivision or if they live some other place that's more of a uh, residential in nature. So I think we have to forget um, maybe our um, selfish desires for how quickly we want to get from place to place and then also recognize the context and the people that are living there. Um, and and like your, to your point, there, there were houses that had lived there or that had been there previously. And those were occupied by people, people with families, people with loved ones, um, just like you and I, uh, just like other users on the road. And so it's really important for us to really start to understand that um, that the people that surround um, or how we drive, uh, we have to know that there are, we're not just going through a vacuum. Right. Um, there's very much a context at which we're getting from place to place. One of the things I know we've talked about in um, the planning department for a number of years, and even something we did when we did the walking tours back in 2019, we want people to get out and walk and bike and experience these corridors in other ways besides driving. And if you do that, you really expose a, a better understanding of the design of the street. If you're driving through, um, you have one understanding. Mm -hmm. If you get out and you walk, you have a different understanding. If you get out and walk and you close your eyes and experience by someone that maybe has um, difficulty seeing, you have a very different understanding of the context that surrounds. But we don't, I think as people, we don't really do that intentionally. We don't try and experience the community in ways um, that we're not usually accustomed to. We're so focused on our day-to-day -day that we don't have um, really the uh, the intentionality behind wanting to do it in other ways. Um, but that's how you have to understand and experience the realities of other people. Um, and there are people in our society and, and in Midland that they can only walk, they can only bike, um, they are unable to drive. And those are their realities too. Um, and then there's also people that just want to drive or, or um, and then also just want to bike or also just want to walk. And right. so there's people that are choosing to do different lifestyles and we need to be a place, a community of choice, like we've talked about in a number of ways um, so that we're really accommodating those other things. Um, but back to kind of the other thing we've talked about, which is that concept of motordom. Motordom and the policies that have dictated motordom, they prioritize vehicles and truck traffic and other things very, very high. Um, and then they give very little um, um, consideration to other means of transportation. And that's what we're really trying to shift um, and trying to change. And we know that that's an important thing for, for us to do within the community uh, because we've, we've seen um, the research that supports other communities that have done that and how they become um, communities of choice um, more and more for other people to move in, um, when people move out, other people to replace them, and all of the needs that we need as a community in order to be a great place to live in 15, 20, 25 years. Sure, sure. So I, I think it's important, too, to think about how roadways function, because they do have different functionality depending on where they are, whether a residential street or when we think about I-75, US-10. Mm -hmm. There's obviously drastically different considerations that are made for safety 
on US 10 than there are and, and frankly should be on business route 10 mm-hmm. or on M20 that comes through a community. Um, you're not dealing with pedestrians on US 10, man, I hope you're not, um, because that means somebody's vehicle is broken down, then we've got another set of problems. But right. even within that, you know, those roadways are designed for vehicles traveling at a high rate of speed, a lot of vehicles, possibly a lot of different elements and different driving conditions. Um, if you go down US 10, you'll see there's you know some fencing along some of the medians to literally prevent vehicles from leaving the roadway and hitting other vehicles on the other side of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into a downtown environment like ours, and there are um, vehicle or there are businesses and buildings creating that urban environment set closer to the street suddenly that becomes an issue Mm -hmm. um and i feel like maybe we need to consider that perspective of this roadway needs to function a different way than a roadway in which you go 75 miles an hour down this is not supposed to be a highway Mm -hmm. um it is a residential ultimately it is a residential street in Mm -hmm. functionality when it's Mm -hmm. coming through our community and so we make different accommodations for that roadway than we would for a roadway that is designed to get someone from one point of interest or one community to another as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. is that the designation of this road um and it's really not Mm -hmm. um no, and, and you make a good point. And, and really, it's that thought process that ultimately led to um, the concept of context-sensitive design yep. and context-sensitive design solutions that we talked a lot about and policies that MDOT has, um, complete streets policy that the city of Midland has as well. Um, and so that designing for the context and designing for a multitude of users to ensure that it is safe for all users um, is something that we're wanting to move towards. But we've had decades of not doing that. And so it's going to take time and it's going to take incremental steps in order for us to make those changes. But it's also going to change. It's also going to take really an understanding across the community um, of the value that's being uh, created as part of that. Um, If we have safer streets for people to be able to walk or bike or take their kids outside and be able to um, ride bikes with them um, and feel safe in those downtown environments, there's scores of things, um, whether that's public health benefits, individual health benefits, um, and a multitude of other reasons as to why it's important to have places that are like that. Um, But it will take time um, for us to to get more towards um, a place where we do have safer streets. I'm glad you brought up the public health um part of this because look at where we are right now we are 14 months possibly time is no longer a a (laughs) societal construct at this point um 14 months into a a global pandemic where we have massively had to shift our behaviors and our way entire way of life um because of a public health crisis essentially Mm -hmm. um but when we look at the number of people for example that are killed nationwide both pedestrians hit by motor vehicles and other motor vehicle users killed by motor vehicles or by poor driving habits or by you know something related to being in a vehicle that's a pretty big public health crisis too it's hundreds of thousands of people Mm -hmm. and we don't treat that as a public health crisis we treat that as a cost of doing business of driving a car and is that the right approach well that's a good question and i think i can't really speak for the the nation and and the approach Uh, but what i can say is that within the planning um industry and the work that city planners have been doing and certainly what you've been seeing from the Biden administration Mm -hmm. um newly um into um, into office, um, but not even just Biden. I mean, other administrations as well have started to look at the safe of our the safety of our streets. Because you're right, there are 
thousands of Americans, sadly, that die each year in traffic crashes. Um, and we've had fatalities even in the city of Midland mm -hmm. um, over the last few years, whether that's people biking or car to car um, um, uh, crashes as well. Um, and it's true, we don't necessarily think of it as the same type of pandemic or epidemic sta um, uh, status, and therefore we don't necessarily have the same kind of resources that we've gone to when it's come to something like the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, and not saying that I'd advocate for that type of change, but what I do think we have to understand is that the way we design streets and the way we design our communities, it matters for the, the things we want to see. Yeah. And I know we've talked in other conversations, you and I, not through the podcast, but just personally, or we've had this really um, question of, you know, sometimes we'll have requests into the city where it'll say, we wanna have a new sidewalk in this location. Yep. And a lot of times the default response is, well, there's no one that walks there, so we don't need to put a sidewalk in. <laughs> we would never have that same response when it comes to roads. We would never say, oh, we shouldn't put a subdivision in roads there because no one drives there currently. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's interesting how we do seem to have a very different approach when it comes to um, facilitating pedestrian design um, in, um, in communities compared to automotive design. And I think we also have to recognize that if you build it, they will come. If yeah. you build spaces for people, people will show up. We took an old railroad right of way in our city <laughs> and we made it one of the most premier rail trails in the state. Yeah. It is used constantly by a multitude of people from not only Midland and people that live right by it, but people that drive from surrounding communities and other parts of the city to people from all over the state that come and, and want to take that, that rail trail because of the quality that we've created. Mm -hmm. If you build it, they will come. Absolutely. Another great example of that was the pedestrian streets last year in downtown, where we did have a pandemic that forced outdoor dining. Um, and in order to secure um, the longevity of those um, restaurants in particular, but also retail stores and others in downtown, we were able to create more space for them on the streets. And what did we get? The vast majority of time, especially when people were largely out of work and wanted to come down at times to recreate in the evenings and on weekends, we got lots of people that were down there. Still socially distancing and making sure that that was all being taken care of, but it proves again that if you build it, they will come. They will come and utilize the spaces. And that's something that we just have to think about as we design this roadway going forward, but as we design other roadways in, this, in the city. Where are there opportunities for us to design, not just for people to get from place to place in their cars, um, but people to walk, people to bike, people to e-scooter, um, yeah. and other modes of, of micromobility that we're seeing evolve more and more. Yeah, the, the pedestrian plazas are a perfect example of using infrastructure in a new way, because if you talk to a lot of people when we first proposed that idea, it was preposterous to assume we would close a street to vehicle traffic so that pedestrians could use it. Um, you know, a lot of people are of the mindset, and I, I fully understand it because for a long time I felt the same way. Streets are for cars, and people should not be on streets. Mm -hmm. But when you start to think about what that means for a community to allow your roadways to really be diverse inclusive and equitable for everyone, which I know mm -hmm. are the buzzwords in our community right now, um, but it's true. Mm -hmm. When you allow people to utilize your infrastructure, because ultimately people are the ones that are A, paying for that infrastructure, mm -hmm. and B, using it, whether it's in a vehicle, walking, biking, scootering, whatever you're choosing to do. Yep. Th that infrastructure should function equally for everyone. It's true. And there's so much opportunity just to increase livability across the city by being able to rethink how we dedicate 
our, our, our largest public space. I mean, we talk a lot about how we have massive amounts of park acreage in the city. <laughs> right, yeah. If you total up the number of acres that we have in simply just street right-of-way, it's huge. Mm -hmm. And we don't often think about the opportunities to create livability in ways um, that are different than how we've always done it. Um, and one thing we've seen more and more over the last couple of decades is the streets that maybe were a little bit more safe in the 90s or the 1980s because people drove a little bit um, slower, they maybe didn't have as many distractions, they didn't have cell phones um, mm -hmm. or other handheld devices, um, that's really shifted. Um, and we don't have that same type of safety or that understanding or that, that reality within a lot of our neighborhoods. Um, but if we want to get that livability back, if we want to increase um, productivity of our streets so that people can take their kids out and maybe bike ride in the street, um, or possibly shoot basketball, or you know, there's lots of movies and things that show kids playing baseball in the street and things yeah. like that. You know, and the reason why they do it is largely because it's a place that's larger. It can collect um, that whole area of people um, to um, to be able to come and interact without having to go to someone's backyard or go into someone's yard. Um, and it's that public realm that we all need in society. We need a public realm that's going to function to facilitate meaningful interactions between people. And that reinforces the things that we're trying to do when it comes to being neighborly in the community. Sure. I mean, there's been a huge interest from a lot of folks to want to increase um, neighborly actions within the city. And we see before the pandemic, we saw a lot of block parties that happened where yeah. people would come, they'd close the street, and they would just absolutely love the opportunity to use that as a public space to facilitate meaningful inter interactions and conversations between neighbors. And we have so much opportunity to do that more and more across the city. Um, and so all of this, in my mind, it's it's very much cr uh, connected. We're not, we've never just talked about Indian and Buttles in, from my perspective. Yep. Even though we've had a very focused trial and data collection on a particular 12 block section of, of Buttle Street, which caused a lot of um, blood, sweat, and tears sure, um, sure. from all over the community. But it's never been just about Buttles in my mind. It's been about thinking intentionally about street design within the community and how we can take the study and the research that we're doing on Buttles and use the other body of research that supports some of the changes um, to be able to make a better Midland for the future. And so this might be a bit of a shameless plug since we have the, the city modern <laughs> process that's going forward, but yes. I would be remiss to not point that out. One of the focus areas of that project is neighborhoods and livability. And we also have transportation and mobility as another focus area where we wanna think intentionally about these things for the future. Because things have shifted and desires of the community have shifted too. And we wanna make sure that we're still ensuring uh, that we're a community of choice long-term. So, so in my mind, I think I'm, I'm happy we're talking about this. I know we've kind of veered away from, from just the safety conversation, mm -hmm. but it's all so connected when you think about these systems and these spaces and this public realm um, in much more ways than just getting cars from place to place. That's true, and, and ultimately, it, you're right, it is all connected. We start with safety and then we think, but if we had safer streets, what could we do? And the possibilities continue to mount. And for me, it's very exciting. I think we've kind of shown on this podcast that you and I are, are just really excited about what the future could possibly hold for this corridor, but what this means for our community in terms of road design and even ultimately for our region mm -hmm. and for our state. Mm -hmm. Because this is, like we said before, an MDOT roadway, and we kind of have the opportunity to um, kind of be the first to really re-envision a lot of this. Now, MDOT's done similar projects, and we talked with um, Justin from the city of Ferndale last time on our episode last month uh, about kind of what they've been doing with MDOT. But within our own community, this is the first time we've really had the opportunity to look at a corridor and say, okay, 
we're not starting totally from scratch, but how can we reimagine an existing piece of infrastructure mm-hmm. and change the way that it performs in a way that's going to be beneficial to people, not just that live here, but even outside of our community as well as mm-hmm. they're passing through? Because even just regular corridor users, they will benefit from an increase in safety. So whether you live mm-hmm. in Midland or not, if we improve this roadway and it's designed to where it functions more safely, you will benefit from that. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important for people to consider as they're driving through there. You might not have a vested um, stake in our community. You might literally be driving you know, from Mount Pleasant to Bay City, and you don't care what happens within the city limits of Midland, which makes me really sad. So I hope nobody feels that way. But <laughs> if you do, you will still benefit from a safer corridor through there. It's um, true. And that's, that's important to consider. Yep. So we've talked a lot about problems here. What are some solutions? When we think about this intersection in particular and what we saw from this accident, we've had similar accidents in that corridor section in the past. We did have a, a vehicle hit a building a couple of years ago as well. Um, what are some of the solutions that, that could potentially be used to help mitigate some of these poor driving habits or maybe some of these these catastrophic essentially failures of the roadway to mm-hmm. where vehicles are leaving them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I think it's important to recognize that you have both the design of the, the physical street and the traffic signals and everything like that that's playing a role. But then you also have user and user error. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That can sometimes happen when you're talking about drivers and um, motor uh, vehicles that are operating in, in, the, in, the, um, in the street itself. So I, I think it's important to to, to know that we do have sort of two fronts. We can talk about more um, driver education, which is why we do things like this podcast, which is really to try and get people to think a little bit differently mm-hmm. about their day-to-day. And I know at the end we always say, stay safe and slow down, because we that's a very important thing. That's one of the best things that people can do is simply just reduce your speed when you're going through um, particular corridors of cities, when you're going through neighborhoods, whether that's Ashman Buttles or, um, or Ashman Rod or it's Indian and Buttles or anywhere across mm-hmm. the city. If you simply slow down, you're gonna be in a better position to be able to be more defensive and be able to react to the things that are happening to you. Right. So if everyone did that from a user perspective, we would solve the issue, quite frankly. Now, whether that's realistic is kind of questionable, (laughs) but at the same time, we should talk about that. It should be okay to talk about that in society to say, hey, as drivers, as Michigan drivers, we need to slow down categorically, Mm -hmm. and that will help some of our issues. The other thing um, that I think we can talk about too is is really the that entire intersection at at Jerome and Buttles particularly. Um, there are ways in which that the city will start to engage more and more with MDOT to see what incremental steps we can take now to try and um, mitigate some of these issues, especially repeat issues that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also seen some other steps that have been taken by the property owner by putting additional boulders there uh, to try and create. Um, more of a, a barrier. If you go back on Google Street View and you see the houses that used to be there, mm-hmm. there was a nice, um, thick, mace, um, kind of a field stone wall that was put along there. I have no idea the reasons for it, <laughs> but it probably functioned to keep cars that came off the road um, pretty well yeah. um, to not go into that house that used to be there. Um, but nonetheless, um, there are some specific ways when it comes to the design of the, the, the road itself that we will start to look at more and more to see if there's ways we can improve the, the um, the, the safety of that intersection. And that could include um, possibly 
how those um, payment markings are designed for the right turn from Jerome onto Buttles. It could include possibly no turn on red if we're finding that there's some visual impedances um, or blocking of traffic and it's it's become dangerous in that turning mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, all of those I know have to have warrants and things through the design uh, review process, um, but it's important to also um, push, um, I, I think, for some of those changes that we could do now. We don't have to wait for a full redesign in order to sure. make some safety improvements today. Um, and that, I think, is something that, that city staff is, is well aware of. Perfect. Um, well, I know I look forward to seeing some discussion about how we can improve that intersection as well as the entire corridor and um, definitely looking forward to seeing some design in the coming months and, and how that's going to incorporate um, the way that this road functions. So. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will have some people who function in the safety realm of streets and roadways on a day-to-day -day basis, and they're going to um, share some of their insight on this corridor and then just on what they're seeing in general out in the community. Uh, Chief Nicole Ford with Midland Police Department and Chief Chris Coughlin with Midland Fire Department. So we will take a quick break and be right back. Welcome back. Um, I mentioned earlier that the focus of this episode is going to be on safety and emergency response. So this discussion is fitting perfectly into our next segment here. Um, I'm pleased to welcome two dedicated public servants to our podcast, both of whom have unique perspectives on road design and safety in their own roles. Joining us, we have Midland Fire Department Chief Chris Coughlin and Midland Police Chief Nicole Ford. A little background on our guests. Chief Coughlin brings several decades of experience in emergency response to this discussion. He joined MFD in 2002 and was promoted to chief in 2012. Chief Ford was hired as our new chief of police in February 2020 after having served in a variety of law enforcement roles in Michigan for the past 20 plus years. So welcome chiefs to Word on the Streets. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course. <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really happy to have you. And um, of course, talking about the road diet uh, project in um, um, Indian and Buttle Street in particular, um, throughout this whole project, we heard a lot about safety concerns and even emergency response capabilities uh, with Buttle Street going from three to two lanes. Um, and so much of our discussion uh, today will focus on those topics. Um, I know we've got plenty of questions on, of our own, uh, plus some that we've heard from residents and corridor users throughout the trial study. So we're pretty excited to hear your takes on both of these, um, or on all of these questions today. Uh, so Chief Ford, let's start with you. And talking about safety, uh, which is obviously a critical focus of this entire project, but we really want to talk about safety across all streets and roadways within the city limits. So today, what are some of the top factors you're seeing contribute to vehicle crashes in our community overall? More often than not, they are involving operator error. So the drivers are not stopping for signals or stop signs. And we're seeing um, an increase in distracted driving, be it GPS, cell phones, uh, their own car electronics. Um, but more often than not, anything that we're seeing has to do with um, usually a driver error. Is this something that's contributing to accidents within the Buttles corridor, or is this pretty much widespread throughout the community? It's definitely still present in the Buttles corridor, but it's pretty much um, widespread throughout any of our major intersections where we're, we're seeing accidents. 
Sure, sure. I know there's a lot of traffic, obviously, within this corridor, so definitely a higher propensity for something like that. So, Chief Coughlin, let's bring you into this. Uh, while we're talking about accidents, um, MFD responds to motor vehicle accidents, and typically um, we're the first on-scene medical responder a lot of the time. Can you walk us through kind of what that looks like when we're responding to a major accident in a thoroughfare like Buttles? When we respond to a uh, motor vehicle accident, generally for us it's an unknown accident. And if it's an unknown, we respond lights and siren. Um, we would typically pull up to the corner before pulling out onto uh, the street, such as Buttles, um, lights and siren on, and wait for traffic to yield before we pull ahead. Um, once we're on that street, if the accident happened to be on Buttles, for instance, we would uh, park to protect behind the vehicles involved, which means that we would uh, continue to leave our lights on, possibly park at an angle so that uh, traffic approaching from behind uh, would not impact any of our rescue workers working it or the police officers working it as well. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, one of the reasons why I asked is we heard a lot from motorists during uh, definitely the trial period that they were concerned that emergency response vehicles would not be able to get through the Buttles corridor or respond to emergencies even in the corridor if the road was only two lanes. Um, so how does redesigning Buttles as a two-lane profile change how you would approach an accident or even passing through there, or does it change it at all? Uh, during the road diet process, it really had very little impact on, on how we operated. Um, as I said, we pull up to the corner, the traffic yields, and we advance into the street. And uh, uh, two lanes, uh, we typically have two lanes in many other areas of the city, and it's never been a problem. Perfect, perfect. I think it's appointment important, excuse me, to point out that um, Midland Fire Department is actually located on the Buttles corridor as a fire station two is located on Townsend Street, just west of Buttles. Do you have Correct. any concerns about this roadway being reduced to two lanes right there when you think about where our fire station is located? Well, we kind of had an open mind when the road diet process started, and uh, we really didn't know if it was going to have any kind of a significant impact on our operations. And as it turns out, it really didn't. Good. Good to know. Yeah. So we've discussed on the podcast and actually throughout the entire um, road diet trial, uh, the speed limit alone doesn't necessarily matter in road design. And so back to you, Chief Ford. I'm curious about this as it pertains to the police department and traffic enforcement. In your opinion, is traffic enforcement alone enough to reduce vehicle speeds in this particular corridor? Um, traffic enforcement alone is never enough to handle, um, especially a newly arranged roadway. So we're gonna have to do um, educational segments would be my guess. We already find a fair amount of people struggling with our roadways due to lack of familiarity um, with the, the one ways and, and whatnot. So um, if that area were to be redesigned, I would certainly push for a public uh, educational outreach. And then we'd also really have to mark the lanes of travel um, because some of them would be train changing as far as what their role is then versus what it is now. Um, so arrows in the roadway to help reinforce what drivers should be doing would be extremely beneficial. Sure. Now I can imagine having um, just a certain limited amount of staff. We obviously don't have a plethora of people to pull from um, an unlimited amount of staff from our police department or any of our city departments for that matter, that it's impossible to staff a corridor 24-7 for traffic enforcement. Um, 
and that might not even be the most responsible use of our public servants either. So um, definitely something to consider as we, we talk about redesigning this roadway. Um, but thinking about that, how does redesigning a roadway maybe help our police officers uh, police our streets for traffic violations or maybe even other crimes too? So for the most part, a standard traveled roadway, it, it doesn't matter a whole lot to us as far as traffic enforcement. It just changes which laws we have to watch for. Um, when road design starts to affect us is when you start putting parking on the side of the road because we find that that affects driver visibility when they're trying to make turns at intersections and whatnot. And then it also um, makes it more challenging as officers are checking the area for possible crime that um, it cuts down their vi visibility to the businesses beyond the parking. But uh, just a straight traveled roadway, it doesn't really matter to us if it's two or three lanes. Okay. And just as a reminder, I think it's always great to put this out there for our residents. There is no parking on any city streets from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. We get a lot of a lot of feedback about that one, but uh, that's one of the many reasons why we do it. It, it allows for greater visibility for our, our police officers while they're out there early in the morning. Um, so as we all know, MPD is great at community outreach and has a great presence within this community and great relationship with our residents. So what are some of the ways that MPD polices to help improve non-motorized and pedestrian safety, um, taking it a little bit away from some of our, our motor vehicle users? So, well, you know, as with anybody else, uh, COVID has definitely caused a challenge in our normal outreach programs. However, we're actually really excited to announce that we have increased our community resource office from one officer to two to create greater reach um, to our businesses, uh, our schools, our banks, areas that we just weren't hitting in the past. So um, we believe that what we will end up doing is partnering them with our SROs, which are school resource officers, to get more of a reach to our kids and their families. Um, you know, in the past we've worked with Safety Town and, and those types of things, but um, we'd like to increase that presence quite a bit. I'm happy to hear that, Chief, because I think um, sometimes one of the things we hear a lot is, well, bicyclists or maybe new e-scooter users or other things like that, they don't necessarily know what laws um, they need to follow or, or have never had formal type of training. We don't go through um, driver's training uh, to get a bicycle license, um, if you will. So a lot of times I think people are just left to whatever maybe um, a mentor or a parent had taught them, and, and that evolves really um, as time goes on. So hearing you talk a little bit more about those opportunities, there certainly is ways in which we can increase that that awareness um, across the city for sure. Yep, I, I love seeing the, the kids getting caught doing the right thing and wearing a helmet and practicing bicycle laws. I know we do that a lot over the summer, maybe not last summer because of COVID, but seeing um, our SROs in the summer out there on a, a bicycle just making connections and um, enforcing that, that biking is a perfectly safe and great way to get out there and get some exercise and also take yourself where you need to go. So I always love those little cute videos and, and photos because it seems like it really resonates with the community too. For sure. The uh, SROs really enjoy that time. And uh, especially now we, you know, as our downtown is starting to become a little more populated, a little bit more pedestrian filled, we have the e-scooters. So we had to re-educate our own staff as far as which laws would apply to them. So um, we're just trying to keep everybody in the loop with the uh, changes we have coming so we can do the best job that we can. Sure. 
So shifting a little bit from maybe some of the, the, the smaller users, um, whether that's children or people on e-scooters, certainly those that are um, just in total size, very, very small, um, but moving a little bit more towards overall road design. And, and uh, Chief Coughlin, I'm gonna jump back to you on this particular question, um, because what we've seen a lot in other municipal municipalities, possibly, um, or especially those overseas, um, is emergency service equipment trying to right size in order to match the size of the road infrastructure itself. Um, so having vehicles that would be um, able to traverse down um, commonly sized streets within a community. Um, is that mm -hmm. something that the Midland Fire Department's been looking at um, in the last couple of years? Uh, not really, and, and there are several reasons for that. One is that we are a limited staff department and we fill a number of functions, including uh, rescue uh, with medical uh, uh, capabilities, fire suppression, hazmat, uh, technical rescue, extrication, all of the equipment that is associated with those disciplines has to be carried on our vehicles. So it's very difficult to uh, downsize, if you will, which is what you would be doing and carry everything that you actually need to the scene mm -hmm. or may need to the scene. Um, and we don't have the additional resources to call in behind us to dedicate to more than one incident most of the time. Um, the other factor that you need to consider is that in this country, uh, we design roads uh, and city streets to accommodate uh, the vehicles that we have, including uh, fire apparatus, including uh, refuse trucks, including dialeride buses. And when uh, planning for those things occurs, especially within the city of Midland, the fire department is involved in uh, implementing those standards and in the plan reviews. And we actually look at street widths. We look at uh, the type of curb. If it's a rolled curb, for instance, it's easier for us to uh, come up on it if we have to get around a vehicle that's parked on the other side of a small street. We look at the turning radii um, if it's a cul-de-sac at the end of the street to ensure that we can actually make the turns. And if we can make the turns, then we're pretty well assured that uh, the refuse trucks, the dial-a-ride buses, and the snow plows will as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, kind of into a, a, an idea that I was thinking of as we were talking. Um, we, we heard a lot of people say that they were worried that our um, equipment wasn't going to be able to get down a two-lane roadway or that if there was an extensive amount of traffic in the corridor, which we know already from our traffic volume study, only happens for about 20 to 30 minutes twice a day, um, that there would not be the ability for EMS or fire to, or even police to get down that corridor. We need to remember emergency vehicles operate a little bit outside the traditional bounds of traffic. If we have to close the road so that a fire truck can go the wrong way down Buttles to get to an accident, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we would probably do that if we had to in order to um, make an emergency a priority. Um, that was a lot of the things that we heard from motorists throughout this trial that they were very concerned about. And I think it's just important to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that emergencies are, are satisfied in a, a quick timeline. And we have very capable staff, as I think we've definitely demonstrated today, um, that know what they're doing and, and are able to meet the needs of our community, regardless of whether there's an extra lane of travel for people to get over. Um, so just something to keep in mind. So thinking yeah, well, about, well, oh, go ahead. Well, what you said is all correct. Um, and, and we would go the wrong way down a one-way street <laughs> if the street were closed and we knew it were closed. Yeah. That, that, that wouldn't be an issue for us. But I want to go back to what we were talking about just for a moment with sure. right-sizing vehicles. 
Um, Grant, you mentioned uh, overseas Europe, it's fairly common, but one of the reasons it's fairly common in Europe is because the streets there have existed for centuries. Mm -hmm. And they were designed and built back in the time when people were uh, probably taking ox carts down the street. <laughs> so in many cases, they have, they have no choice. They have to build the, the apparatus to, to whatever the street will accommodate. Mm -hmm. it, we're fortunate in this country that other than a few cities on the East Coast, and a couple on the west coast we don't have those issues right right no that's a very good point and, and certainly the context and and the, um, the overall history plays a, a huge factor in that um, equally so i think too um, as things have gotten bigger and, and certainly as the average vehicle size personal vehicle size has certainly increased um, especially in the last few decades um, it means more infrastructure um, more uh, things that we need to pay for long term. So there's certainly a balance with all of that. But, but Chief, you're absolutely correct. It's important to recognize that because we have these emergency vehicles or we have other public service vehicles, we need to have the roads that are designed to properly accommodate them um, as opposed to trying to diet them all the way down um, and make sure. them um, unusable for sure. Sure. So with that in mind now, thinking about how each of your departments uses and serves this corridor, uh, what are some of the elements of, from each of you that you hope to see in this design as we get through the design process? Chief Ford, let's start with you. Um, I would hope for some really clear markings for both the pedestrians, um, maybe some of the electronic signs. I think anytime you redesign an area, any clue that you can give to people as to what they're supposed to be doing either while they're walking or driving is extremely beneficial. Uh, we normally operate at such a level of distraction on a good day for, for all of us as we multitask through this world that um, if we can draw their eye to signage and markings, uh, it will help decrease uh, some of the incidents in that area for sure. Sure. Okay, Chief Coughlin, what about you? I would echo what Chief Ford said, and I would also add that uh, we do have some areas where it would be very beneficial to have turning lanes installed. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. I know when we looked at those preliminary designs, there are a few intersections in particular. I think Cronkroy is one mm -hmm. um, to accommodate the Poseyville Road bridge traffic and a few others that there will be um, some additional turn lanes and then maybe some wider turn radiuses as well. Um, so. Hopefully, we'll have a design to talk about soon. I know we keep saying that, but um, as we've we've said several times, things like this, especially large-scale projects, take so long to get the design correct. So hopefully, in a couple months or so, we will have some, some concrete plans to talk about and, and get some public input on. So with that in mind, I want to thank both of you for coming today. Um, you know, we have appreciated obviously everything you do within the community, but also your work on this project, because I know both MPD and the fire department were heavily involved in the front end of this, and not only serving during the trial, but being involved in the staff reviews of this, um, this entire process. So thank you very much for everything that you've done, for taking your time today to be with us, and of course for your very important roles in the community. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to seeing more great things in the future. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, both of you. Yes. Thank you both. So that's all for this installment, but we will be back next month with another episode and more updates on the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project. See you soon and slow down. This has been Word on the Streets, a podcast created by the City of Midland, Michigan and produced by the MCTV Network. 
For more information on this podcast or to learn more about the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project, visit cityofmidlandmi.gov corridors.